I just want to start hitting you with some questions and everything. So yeah, hit me. Buckle up. Here we go. Okay, so more time. Oh. <laughs> that was today's guest, Heather Bright, aka Bright Lights, who happens to be a multi-Grammy nominated singer, songwriter, DJ, and record producer. She has written for numerous pop stars, including The Princess of Pop, or the original doll, Britney Spears, Justin Bieber, Usher, and Beyonce. Her catalog has amassed over 1 billion, billion with a B, streams worldwide. And we're going to go more into the work that she has done and two songs that I know many Britney Spears fans want to know about, Trouble For Me and Red Is The Color. So sit back, relax as I present you with The Original Doll. And I want to announce that with Pride Month coming, we have collaborated with Britney Online to bring you an outtake from the Reuven Affendor photo shoot, which was previously unavailable in UHQ, you know, ultra high quality photo. Now the pics were taken for her 2011 Out Magazine cover story during the Femme Fatale era. So in honor of Pride Month, enjoy. Don't you want my iconography? Don't you want to stay and then follow me? Don't you want to aim for the stars you see? Boom. The vinyl of Femme Fatale. No way. So I was like, I didn't even have that. Last night I interviewed uh, Lindy Robbins. Mm -hmm. She's awesome. Well, and it's so crazy because it's like being able to do this. I created this podcast as a way for a lot of the listeners that love Britney Spears and pop music to know like the people behind the scenes because it takes a village. Oh, yeah. And I think from day one in season one, I talked about in the Dolly Parton episode about publishing and things like that. And so many people were like, wait, what is publishing? Like, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And we as consumers, so I have no artistic ability whatsoever. So mm-hmm. I, I'm just like, I just buy things. That That's, that's the extent of my music. And, and Lindy last night was like, we need you to do what we do. I'm like, perfect. I'm the perfect partner Absolutely. for that. Honestly, like the people who buy I mean, that's life-changing for artists, writers, like anybody who's actually making the product, you know, um, uh, even a, even downloading a song, like paying the money to download a song as opposed to just streaming. The difference in that payout is astronomical. And that's something where I wouldn't have even known about it had I not started asking people, like, what is the best way to support you as a songwriter? And so many people were like, I've never been asked that. Like I I said specifically as a songwriter, because, you know, I know that there's only a small portion of a small way for songwriters to make money on songs. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we all love the songwriters, but during the digital age, we don't, not many of us are like me, like liner geeks where I'm going through, I'm like, Ooh, this is another Fraser who follows me on Twitter, which I was like, Oh, thank God. Um, because oh, Fraser yes and I was just oh, cool. and I had interviewed uh Casey Livingston or Cassia Livingston and she talked about scary yeah. with him and everyone was just like he was just fun to collaborate with like he mm-hmm. was like here's some tracks <laughs> do your thing and mm-hmm. I I love that because there aren't not every single story I heard and even heard off the record are pleasant stories you know mm-hmm. And yeah. that's why I'm like, oh, so I want to shine the light on the positivity of this. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. if we know what best way, how do we, you know, support your new projects? If we love trouble, you know, for me, how do we support you so that we can keep going? Because 
songwriters need to get paid. And if we don't pay songwriters, who's going to be writing these songs? Yeah, it's true. It's true. But I also think that, um, I don't know, one of the things that I think is really important in this whole conversation is um, just driving the awareness of the issue, but without throwing stones because the business is constantly evolving and we are all always learning. That includes artists, that includes record labels, that includes DSPs. Like we are all part of this ecosystem and it's a very carefully, it has to be very carefully balanced in order for the business as a whole to work and to succeed. Um, You know, and I think that, a lot of the issue is that art that songwriters have not been speaking up songwriters have not really put their foot down in a way that needed to happen for years and years and years so you know i think we got to give a lot of artists a little bit of credit to do the the right thing from this point forward it doesn't matter what we all did in the past or you know what deals were made what happens is that from here on out Everybody knows what the situation is. Everybody knows that songwriters are struggling. And it's evident because all of the songwriters have become artists. And that's why, because songwriters are not making the money and, and, and getting the respect mm-hmm. that they need. So they're, they're evolving you know, into this different breed of songwriter where they also have their own artist career that sometimes will start taking off. And then that leaves bigger artists without their songwriters, mm-hmm. you know? So I think if if anything is gonna change um, about this, it just has to be a lot of respect across the board and understanding and just acknowledgement of what's been happening and how do we fix this from everybody. And, and I, I like that because I always feel like the, the change of anything, politics, businesses, it's just about putting the transparency there from that point on and forward and saying, this is what, this is what we are dealing with now. This is where we stand. Exactly. So we're not going to waste the energy that we have on this earth today talking about person A, person B, person C doing X, Y. It doesn't matter. And there's a point where it was hard for me when I realized you would hear all these things and it was hard for me to like separate that out to just not be like angry. And I was like, you know what? The anger doesn't help any, anything, you know? No, what, it and so what I can do is I can do my best to be an advocate for songwriters. I can be, do my best to just explain how it is from here forward mm-hmm. because we'll never know 100% of everything and there's no need to know. You know what I mean? Like for me, that was an anger thing because I always assumed in my consumer small mind that when I bought, you know, trouble for $1.29 that you were getting like half of it. You know what I mean? (laughs) I I thought that when, you know, Femme Patel sells like, you know, 3 million, you know, copies worldwide, that you're, you know, getting at least a million of that. Like the only person getting half of that is the record label. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those are fact-based words. That is true. Yeah. And I think what I've enjoyed is being able to talk to songwriters and producers and just really humanize them, show, have the listeners here. Because the thing is, like, you've got a great voice. You've got a great energy. I vibe with you. So mm. for me, I'm like, 
I'm going on, you know, the bright train wherever wherever it goes. I, I'm mm-hmm. on there. And so I want to use my platform. And I've been fortunate enough to, it's it's charted in like 30 countries worldwide. And I've mm-hmm. had people reach out to me and I was just like, they're like, I'm from Indonesia. And I love that you, you know, talk to my favorite songwriter of the song. I never knew how to. Mm-hmm. And there's this generation of Britney Spears fans, a younger generation that are like, that Femme Fatale was like their first Britney era. So I've had people that are like 18, 19 years old that are like, I love Femme Fatale. And I was like, and they're like, my mom would go to the, went to the concert. I was like, yeah. But that's what makes music so great. The generationless mm-hmm. aspect. And if, if you write classic music, if you write classic songs, they last forever and they transcend generations. You and know? it's, and that's what's great. And I think that, you know, especially with like Trouble For Me and, and Red Is The Color, I love Red Is The Color. Like mm-hmm. I was like, if the sneaker pimps and Sade had a baby, this, <laughs> <laughs> this is that. Cause it's like, I'm vibing with it, but there's also the lyrics make sense. Mm-hmm. That, it, that it isn't sexy for the sake of being sexy. Yeah. And, and I love that. So what I want to do is, for the listeners that are new, basically what I do is when I interview these amazing guests, for every question that they answer, we get items donated to different charities. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing in this episode is for all the questions that we we that I ask you and the listeners we get in the first 24 hours, we're going to be getting items for LGBT kids in Chicago and around Chicago. So thank you for just being you. So thank you that, yeah. for that. When you explained your platform and then... Um... Yeah, that last little tidbit. I was like, that's really cool what he's doing. Yeah, it's unique. Well, and that's why it's like, because we, our time is the most precious thing. So if somebody's kind enough to give me their time, I want to make sure that we're doing something positive with it. I want to put that back out there. And so I also think, you know, music has been such a a therapy for many people. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's like, it's, it's a win-win situation. So thank you again for, for being here. Um, and so I just want to start hitting you with some questions and everything. So yeah, hit me. buckle up, here we go. Okay, so. More time. Oh. <laughs> One quick note, don't forget to follow me on Instagram, the.original.doll. Go old school with the website, www.theoriginaldoll.com. And I also have a Patreon, patreon.com dash theoriginaldoll. Now, what happens on there, I deep dive and explore other songs uh, that we might not be talking about on the podcast. And there's a lot of exclusive content that is only available on Patreon. And once again, I want to remind people that these great songwriters, so many of them are coming on the podcast, and for every question they answer, items get donated to charity. So all together, this is just a podcast to shine the light on all of those amazing songwriters and artists and producers and helping other people on the way. So tell people about the podcast. Make sure they follow it, stream it. Apple Music is best. Spotify. Thank you. We've been fortunate enough to be able to interview different people who worked with uh, Fraser T. Smith. And many of them said his way of doing it, he came up with, he would vibe with you, see, be like, we have some of these tracks. Were you 
in a writing camp situation? Mm -hmm. Were you on your own? Was it just like, hey? Uh, no, I was never in a writing camp with Frazier. I actually don't like writing camps. They feel like um, they feel like factories to me. Um, uh, they they can be very effective. You know, uh, if somebody needs to bulk stockpile great songs, you know, that's the way to do it. Um, I just don't necessarily like the way that it makes me feel. Um, it's not to say that I haven't been a part of some great writing camps, um, but yeah, for the most part, I, I don't really do writing camps. Um, so with Frasier, uh, it's always been um, based on a pro per project, like whatever we were working on and whoever wanted to commission from the two of us. Um, so we've worked on a couple of uh, records for Britney. I'm spacing on who else we've worked uh, for. I, I, I went to the UK once and worked with him at his studio there. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, he's one of the most brilliant producers that I've ever worked with. You know, especially with me being a producer now, I have so much respect for everybody that I worked with, all the producers that I worked with in my songwriting career. Um, I just appreciate and respect them so much more now that I do that I produce as well. And Frazier is just very uh, such a unique blend of organic and um, you know synthetic sounds and sonics and mm -hmm. that's that's kind of rare like a lot of times you'll find somebody who's mostly organic or mostly synthetic synthesized sounds um so it's just really cool to be in the studio and vibe with him on a track and just have him hop on a real piano that's you know like a live piano or a live acoustic guitar when we were writing um uh trouble for me he was on acoustic guitar and we wrote that we were trouble for me essentially is a dance record you know so it's just i think it's really cool that that was written just really stripped down with an acoustic guitar that's how the vibe started I love that. And that's one of those things. It's like, it's seeing his work, you just, and, and I've mentioned his other work before. It's like, he's such a diverse producer. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that I can't nail his sound. Like, I don't hear when I go, oh, this is this producer. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? That yeah. I like that. That's kind of, that's kind of evident of like pop producers, I think. Cause they're not trying to be artists. You know what I mean? You know, so it's like. And they could play with all the flavors and all the colors. I love that. I love that. They're not trying to make their own album. They're literally just the fact that Frasier can go from a pop record like Trouble For Me into um, Set Fire To The Rain. Adele, are you kidding me? And then and then go and make a grime record with Stormzy. You know, it's unbelievable. So good. And that's and that's what I love is that it's truly a collaborative experience, though. Like I feel like 
it's going with the moment and seeing what's happening. So when you were working on Trouble for Me, did you know that this was the intention was it was going to be on a Britney album or was it just kind of a couple people you had in mind or just vibing and seeing if something could come from it? If I recall correctly, I think that we, I think we were right. I'm pretty sure that we were writing for her. Now, most songs that you write for a certain artist, 80% of the time, it will never go to that artist. So, you know, you're writing with a, a grain of salt of like, okay, this is a shot in the dark, but let's write this song. And normally it'll go somewhere else to, to a totally different artist. Um, yeah, but with this record, uh, they called me like three or four months after we had written it and said that she was going to record it that same week. And it was just, yeah, it was an amazing moment of just like, wow, because that was the first, I think she was the first artist that, no, not the first, almost one of the first. Um, Tony Braxton was the first artist that recorded one of my songs that, that was an artist that I grew up listening to. You know what I mean? And then it was Britney and then it was Usher. So like my whole beginning of my songwriting career was just absolute amazement that the artists that I grew up riding around listening to in my car as a kid, these are the artists that are now recording my records. That 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 never gets old and that's always really surreal. And that's that's gotta be so amazing to have it where these voices are singing your words, singing your, like, you know, mm -hmm. pseudo telling your story to an extent. And, and that's just got to be that moment. So with, with this though, how did you feel then? Because not only did she record it, she added, she, it was on the album because there people mm -hmm. are like, oh, if she records, it's definitely in the album. It's like, no, that's, no. <laughs> that's not the case. You know how many songs artists record for their albums? A lot based on about, about 70 pop artists record about 60 to 70 records for each. And then they might not be fully done full recordings, but they're like ideas, you know, and then they have these huge whiteboards where they have all their records and one by one, the records get scratched off. And then you're left with 10 or 12 tracks and that's the album. Well, and the, the crazy thing is working on this, and I talked to, you know, Lindy Robbins, and I talked to Casey Livingston, and even Maya Marie, she's been, a, they've all been guests on here, mm -hmm. where it was just like, there was the moment where it was like, hey, Dr. Luke and Max Martin are going to be like helming this project. Mm -hmm. And everyone is like, Ugh. like, you have Max Martin, Dr. Luke, Britney Spears, you're just like, oh. but then you also realize the real estate of the album shrinks mm -hmm. because if they're going to be on there, they're going to be like, you know what? We have a bunch of these great songs that we're ready to go with. Of course, yeah. And anything, anything can change in, in what's done, but you also have it where she performed that song. Mm -hmm. She performed. How did that feel? Like that was chosen as a performance song on a tour. That's not just like a. That was because it was one. Of her, that was because it was one of her favorite tracks personally. 
You know, a lot of pop stars, um, not every song a pop star records they love. Some, some pop stars have to record songs they don't like because the label wants them to record it, you know? And that's, that's the truth. Like uh, one of your favorite pop artists, favorites, your favorite songs from that artist, they might not even like that song, <laughs> you know? It was, um, I call that like the, the Madonna effect where Madonna's been like, you know, during Ray of Light era, everyone's like, oh my God, can you sing? Like, she's like, I don't like my early stuff. And it's like, oh, <laughs> there's the time away where then, you know, the reinvention tour and everything where she like dips back in it. And I love an artist who can look back and just go, you know what, like Mariah Carey, I feel like, especially with the re-release of all the remixes and EPs and everything, I feel like she's one, I feel like she is proud of the work that she has done. And some of them, she's like, oh, silly little song or whatever. But you can tell mm -hmm. when Britney was dancing, you know, to Trouble For You, like she was in. Yeah. She was, she was all, and the rest of us were too, you know? And so mm -hmm. it's gotta feel awesome to not only have a song that you're vibing with with the producer but then to have the artist cut it then to know it's going to be on an album and then it's going to be on a tour mm -hmm. so how many other songs were you working on at the time that were like in contention or were you like you know what this is the this is the one we like because to your point if there's like 70 songs because I know you worked on a lot of you know whether it was I even wrote some down because people were like ask her about this and I'm like y'all need to calm down. <laughs> uh, How in the zone were you with working with Fraser at the time? Like, was it a very productive time? Fraser and, I think Fraser and I, we only, you know, he, he flies in from the UK. So he's here for what, a week, two weeks. He's working with a few different writers. You might get two days with him if you're lucky. You know, I live in LA. So, you know, I can kind of be in with whoever I want, whenever I want. Um, but when you have somebody who doesn't live here, you don't have a lot of time. So, um, yeah, I think we had done two records for her. They took one and the other one uh, didn't make the cut. The other one's dope, but it just, um, you know, for whatever reason, it didn't make the cut for the album. And that's the part where it's like us as fans, we look at it and I'm hopeful with people still purchasing the physical albums where we can see the liner notes, where we can follow those songwriters, those producers that we like. Because I think many people were like, wait, does this guy set fire to the rain guy? Is that also, it's like, mm -hmm. yes and yes. And we lost a lot of that identity as consumers when it went digital and half of the time the information's not on there or not correct or. Well, finally Spotify has credits now, finally. And, but they're not they're not full credits, but at least you can see who the songwriters are and who the producers are. And it, at least they have that. And that's now 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 in my opinion, they need to add mixing and mastering like real quick mm -hmm. because the mixing mixing and mastering engineers are a crucial part of the recording process in a record. Can you explain that to the listeners? Why that is? I've many people have said it. Explain why, you know, the consumers why it's difference. It's the difference between a demo and a polished song. It's a difference between your drums hitting right and them sounding like baby spit. You know what I mean? It's the difference between your record knocking and banging in the club and barely getting by, 
you know, um, because as producers, we don't want to spend our time on that. I don't want to spend my time. I would rather go to the next record and keep it moving. You know, I would rather write and, and you know, uh, arrange things. I, I want to do what I'm best at. I don't want to sit there and work on a kick for three hours. You know what I mean? And that's the part where when I talk about it takes a village, that there are so many people behind the scenes making this work. Mm -hmm. And there are so many jobs and so many people who are musically talented that you'll never see as the songwriter or never see as the recording artist. And that's cool. You know, that's fine. Like if that's what they want to do, because there, there's these geniuses that we don't know about. They're like the unsung heroes to your point, because I know when, you know, I've talked to people and they've, they've sent me like demos of their songs where it's like, they're like, can you tell that this was what we thought was good? And then this is what the, the engineer, this is what the mixer did. And it's like, mm -hmm. and for me to go, wow that's what it that's that final step yeah i mean you guys have heard the demo for trouble for me there's two mm. demos floating around you hear that demo and you hear the final product that's mixing and mastering and it's so it's so amazing with to know all these different people and so the hope is that their names get added onto this because i talked in a previous episode it's like every other product in the world you have to put your ingredients where it's from and everything i go mm -hmm. why why this is this is a product you know yeah and it did it never made sense to me and so i'm hoping to be able to interview you know engineers mixers and things like that to shine a light even more in depth to that because i think they're really an unsung hero in this mm -hmm. I like when you could hear the demo and then you hear the, the other version go. I love seeing the growth in it. For me, I love going, Casey Livingston had had uh, played part of a demo for me where she's like, yeah, she's like, I just went in there saying, she's like, I'm not worried about pitch or anything. And I'm like, and I love her voice. So I was like, I still love this. <laughs> I was like, I still love this. Yeah, she's amazing. For more exclusive content with Casey Livingston, visit patreon.com slash the original doll. More to come in June. For you then, how do you mm -hmm. work now as a songwriter turned producer? Songwriters, uh, they get paid based on um, publishing, which is a the only songwriting royalty. That's the only way that songwriters get paid. Um, so when an art, when a songwriter song plays on the radio or gets in a TV show or a movie, um, songwriters are well paid in that respect. When a songwriter song is played on a Spotify or Apple Music, these DSPs, songwriters aren't paid very well because um, we haven't gone through the litigation that is required. Um, you know, that happened back in the day. We, we had to do the same thing with radio too. You know what I mean? It wasn't like radio mm -hmm. was just like, oh, yep. we'll pay you properly. <laughs> you know, uh, we're constantly having to fight. And the U.S. What... is U.S. is one of the few countries, I think, that doesn't pay the recording artist as well on radio. They... Because it's the songwriter that, because that's one of the, I, when I just did this episode about that, they said there are so many things that are just bizarre. On radio, on terrestrial radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On terrestrial radio. Um, so yeah, that's where songwriters make a lot of their money. So, you know, with radio being phased out and streaming coming in, you can't fight that. 
you know what I mean? We can't, we can't hold on. That's, that's the whole problem with what labels were doing, trying to fight Napster and, um, you know, LimeWire and spending millions and millions of dollars to fight this instead of spending the money to figure out how to, you know, work it out and move with the, move with the world. Um, I forgot the question that you asked me. <laughs> how do you, how did, off topic. how is your, your process changed from when you were a songwriter to oh, now as a right. producer? That's right. So, uh, so now I write, um, I write the same and I, I don't usually produce a record unless I'm writing it also, just cause I can write with my hands tied behind my back. It's like the easiest thing to me. So like, why would I not do that? Um, sometimes I will get an acapella from an artist. Um, so the songwriting part of that is me writing the chords as a producer, you know, but the top line and the melody is already done. Um, that's a bit rare though. Most of the time I'm starting with a, a loop or just some chords on the piano and, um, you know, just vibing with wherever, wherever I am in my head. And then I kind of think like, what does this song require in terms of production like what what does this song call for you know and and what artists might need this song is this a record for me um because if it's a record for me and it's a big r&b ballad it's not gonna work because i'm not an r&b ballad kind of artist i'm a dance pop artist so i'll give you an example um i got commissioned to make a record for deborah cox this week to uh, produce and write a record for her and um, I wrote this amazing, like huge ballad, like it's a huge record, but you know, they wanted a dance record for her. So like, think about nobody's supposed to be here. The biggest success of that record was the dance versions of that record that played all over the clubs. Look at her touring now. All of her touring is like gay prides and mm -hmm. gay, gay clubs. And, <laughs> you know, so like that audience is her audience and, and we hold her down. Mm -hmm. You know, so I was like, I can't deliver a big ballad for her like that because that's just not where we are, you know, market wise. Um, and she needs something that she can really take on tour like that. So I, uh, not very often do I do this, but this was a case where I wrote the song and then I made the track separately with the top line in mind. Uh -huh. So I had the top line in mind, the tempo had to change a little bit. Um, but I rewrote, I ended up rewriting the verse and the pre-chorus to fit a dance tempo. And then the, the, the chorus translated over. So I left that chorus, but the concept was the same. The title was the same. The lyrics wow. were the same, but I was able to adapt that ballad into a dance record. That's something that could work for the market right now and to work for her because, uh, you know, in terms of marketing, it's expensive to market a ballad, you know, because you don't have the support of, of radio and clubs, you know, clubs are starting to come back now. Mm -hmm. So it's a great time to launch a club record. Um, people want to dance, they want to have a good time. So yeah. up tempos are a great way to maximize, you know, the marketing on a record. I love that. And and so, because I don't want to take up too much more of your time, what do you, what sort of suggestions would you have for those young 
artists are just people who really want to express themselves through music, you know, especially during, you know, you having done this before and done it successfully, how, what sort of advice would you give somebody who isn't sure if they want, do you know what I mean? Like if they, cause I feel like there's a point where like when I, when I've talked to actors where it's like the imposter answer. syndrome, <laughs> go ahead. That's a simple answer. Uh, are you, can you be hungry and starving and not make a dime for four years? and do this full time, 40 plus hours a week for four years, not making a dime, eating shit food, you know, worrying how you're gonna pay your rent, but you don't care because you're doing what you love and this is the only thing, this is your only option. We don't, people in the music business, we don't have a plan B. You know what I mean? There's no plan B, this is who we are. Mm -hmm. This is our life, you know? So, so I'm gonna do what I do if I'm on the streets or if I'm in a mansion, period, you know, and a lot of, and a lot of people, they don't have, they can't do that. They don't have the mindset. They're not built like that to go through years and years of just being devastatingly poor sometimes, you know, because you're not making money, you're developing, you know, and, and or either being extremely poor or also extremely tired because you're working two other jobs and you know, you're working 85 hours a week. I did that for four years, 85 hours a week working. Wow. Yeah. But then when I got, when I got through it and I had really developed and nobody could touch my pen game, like I'll put my pen game up against anybody. Cause I did the work it. that it took to get there. But, and once I got there, you know, you're talking going from broke to like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars flowing in if you hit if you hit in a big way, um, you know, and so it's just if you love it and you're passionate about it and you're willing to starve for it, it'll pay off for you in the end if you stick with it long enough. I love it. That's that's great advice for everyone, because I think that it's something that we as listeners that even the people that I've worked with at shelters, the LGBT runaway youths, where mm -hmm. I always give them things to write with journals, things like that, because mm -hmm. you need to express yourself in some way or the other. So I think mm -hmm. you talking about well, that. Okay. And here's the thing to say too, you know, making music doesn't have to be a career. It really doesn't you can have a, a, a stable career, whether you're a nurse or a teacher or, you know, uh, some people need that stability. That's real, you know, um, even, even when you make it in this business, a, a long career is up and down and up and down and up and down, you know, and it's very shaky. There's nothing steady about this business. So I totally understand the mindset of like, psychologically not everyone can deal with that anxiety or that stress um so you can do anything you want and still make music as a hobby and still be good at it and develop and evolve it, it might not be your career but it might be something that you love that you really enjoy you know and that's success too as long as you enjoy it um, and one last thing, what sort of thing would you like, well, actually two things, what sort of thing would you like to say to the Britney Spears fans who aren't on social media? Because we do have a lot of people that 
are emailing us that that listen to the podcast um what sort of thing would you like to say to the the fans of yours especially like trouble for me right well, I think it's I think it's less about, you know, being a fans of me and more about that we are all fans of Britney. You know, like I'm as equal of a of a fanatic as you guys are. You know, so I fucking love Britney. That's my bitch. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So, I... so we are a family in that respect. We are part of that family together. Oh my goodness, I love it. And then the other thing is, how can we look out for your new project? Well, I just recently released a Lady Gaga cover called Poker Face. I'm sure everyone remembers that song. Um, it's one of my favorites. So uh, we made a new kind of an updated version and I sang the vocals and that was a very interesting uh, thing to do. I will admit that I was a bit nervous to cover something from her because she's one of my favorite artists of all time. So good. So yeah, and her voice is incredible. So, um, you know, it was interesting to mostly I sing my own records. Um, so, and, and a lot of the covers that I've done in the past I kind of make them my own, you know, I, I adapt, I'll change the verses or I'll change whatever. With this record, I knew that I had to keep it the way that it was. I could not change the lyrics or the melodies. Um, and I wanted to do it as close as she did, try to get as close to her vocal as possible. So that was really interesting because my voice isn't quite built like that. And it was such a cool experience to hear, like to really, really pay attention to what her backgrounds were doing and, you know, how her music or how her vocals were um, produced. And uh, so that record is actually out on my own label, which means that when you when you buy that record, we actually see most of the money on that. So. Yeah, so I with that, love this. Yeah, so with that record in particular, it's me, Judici and Molly Nar. And the three of us, the label doesn't even take a cut. It's literally 33, 33, 33. So when you buy the record, that money comes and splits right down the middle between all the artists. And that's rare. That never happened. Um, so this, I mentioned that because of that. Yeah. That's amazing. And so how can they find the song? Is it on your website? It's not, like, what's the best way for people to access this, to be it's able to on, get it? It's on iTunes, it's on Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, uh, Amazon Music. Yeah, it's, it's on pretty much any platform, Deezer, wherever you, wherever you stream or buy music. I think the only place it's not is uh, Beatport. Yeah, it's not on Beatport. Um, but then there's a couple other songs that I think, um, you know, this fan base, uh, people who listen to your podcast would enjoy. I released a record recently uh, called War for Love. Every artist on that record is from the LGBTQ plus community. We're all we're all artists of that world. And so the record is about uh, social justice and about fighting for our rights, you know? So I think your audience would really love War for Love as well.
forget, for the first 24 hours, the listeners that we get that listen to the podcast, we in fact get items donated to charity. So just by listening. So tell friends, tell family, uh, tell them about the original doll uh, with James Rodriguez on Apple, on Spotify. Tag them, add, have them added on Instagram, the.original.doll. Now have no fear. We have more with Heather Bright. Bright Lights coming up. We are going to deep dive into Red is the Color with some surprises. So be on the lookout. Make sure you subscribe so that you get notified right away. So until next time, see you on the flip side. Don't you want my iconography? Don't you want to stay and then follow me? Don't you want